by 2020. I don't want anybody to be here who doesn't have to be here. Uh, we want to end rough sleeping by that time. That was Andy Burnham very early on in his time as mayor of Greater Manchester, making a big promise about homelessness. But what is the state of rough sleeping and homelessness in the city at the moment? This is the Manchester Weekly from The Mill. Hello there, welcome to this week's episode of the Manchester Weekly from The Mill. I'm Daryl Morris and Yoshi Herman is the editor of The Mill and joins us from The Mill newsroom. Hello Yoshi, how are you? Well, actually, I'm not in the middle of the newsroom, Daryl. I'm at my, uh, I'm at my flat. Is that okay? Oh. <laughs> Is that allowed? Well, that also that sometimes does. You do write from there, right? Sometimes, so that's sort of like an extension of the mill newsroom. I actually hate working from home, and we're a very office-based, old-fashioned company. But today, because we had such big internet problems last week, I thought I'd do it from here. Oh well, you sound great. Uh, so thank you for that. Um, okay, uh, we've got lots to get into. But firstly, Yoshi, I, I've got to commend you for a, a fine appearance on BBC Radio 2 on the Jeremy Vine show the other week. Uh, you, you had me kind of like punching the air in 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 celebration, in, in, in solidarity with you. <laughs> Why were you on the Jeremy Vine show this week? So I wrote an article for the website unheard.com. And it was about how... The coverage of the English National Opera story has been very, very London-focused, all focused on what London's losing rather than the potential benefits of having a big cultural organisation not in London. And th- someone on the Jeremy Vine show, which apparently gets millions of, uh, of listeners, I'm sure not more listeners than your show on Times Radio, Daryl, but apparently it's a lot, possibly second to yours. Someone there read it and said, would you come on the show to debate this? And I didn't realise until quite soon before the show, but I was actually on the air debating on Radio 2 with the guy who is the chief executive of the English National Opera. So I kind of got my chance to make my points to him. And yeah, you heard it. Maybe, Maybe I was a little bit too... I don't know. Was I too aggressive? It was. It was in keeping with your new uh, shock jock brand that you've adapted of late. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I enjoyed it that. was. Yeah, it was. Maybe I need to tone it down a bit. But I, I was trying to say to him, look, to present this funding change where you have to leave London. Clearly, it's 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 very bad for the people who work there now. But to present it as a bad thing for the country or a thing that can't work, or to say that opera can only work in London, I think those things are, are patronising and actually just ignorant. And I wanted to point that out to him. I also wanted to make the point that, look, you're based in London. How come you're getting £13 million a year, um, you know, taxpayer money, but you can only raise like less than £3 million from from private sponsors and companies? Like you're in, the, you're in London, you know, you're in walking distance of big global banks. Like surely you guys should be raising a lot more money for yourselves there in London. Surely there's much more of an argument for public subsidy going into things not in London where you don't have access to that sort of private capital, which he didn't take kindly to. But like, I think it's, I think it's important to have a little bit of scrutiny of the claims that these, um, these culture leaders are making in, in the past couple of weeks. I agree. It was uh, a sterling performance, Yoshi. You represented the North brilliantly. And can, but where can people listen to it if you, if you want to hear it? <laughs> they, can, uh, they can find it on last Friday's Jeremy Vine show on BBC Sounds. And I think it's about, you know, I think it's about half an hour in or something like that. Great. Excellent. Okay. Um, enjoy. Feast on that. Um, okay. Let's start our episode, our podcast, our uh, only ever so slightly uh, lower audience count than Jeremy Vine's show podcast. Very similar. I think very similar audience count. 
Homelessness, Yoshi, which is um, a story that's obviously a really big, important pillar of Andy Burnham's work as mayor and what he sort of how he set out his stall for his administration. Um, we've been hearing from Andy Burnham this week saying the number of rough, rough sleepers is rising again in Greater Manchester, and he's warned about a difficult winter ahead. What have we heard? Yeah, this was a big update from Andy Burnham and other local leaders on Monday. They did a press conference, and I think the point of the press conference was to say. Two things. A, we understand that this problem is getting worse and it's going to get even worse over the winter. Secondly, we are we, we, we know this is happening and we're actually taking steps to deal with it. So Andy Burnham announced £460,000 of mayoral funding to expand a bed every night, which is, I think a lot of listeners will know, is a, a big scheme that he's pioneered uh, to get people off the streets. Um, I think it's going to create about 86 more places. So, you know, we're talking about at the last count in, in, in October... There were 90 people sleeping rough across Greater Manchester. I think those counts are normally an underestimate because they're not going to find everyone. But anyway, they're now creating funding to try and expand ABEN about every night to cover 86 more places. So you can see that it's tr- they're trying to cover roughly the number of people still out on the streets. Uh, there are currently th- uh, 732 people being, current- being accommodated by ABEN and most of which are funded by the Burnham's um, combined authority. So you're absolutely right to say this is a massive mayoral commitment. It's something that Andy Burnham has staked his reputation on. And he did reaffirm his commitment. He said, the commitment is to end rough sleeping. I want, he said, that, I want to state that again. However, I think when they do the annual count, um, which is actually this month, I think they've probably already done it, but they're going to announce it soon. I think what that will show is that rough sleeping is rising again after falling for, for every year in 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, 22. I think 22 will be um, probably a rise or at least staying at the same level. So this is a, you know, it's it's a social tragedy. There are, there are people sleeping on the streets and it's a political thing with Andy Burnham having promised to end it. And, and, and clearly it's not coming to an end. And and the local housing allowance is important here as well, isn't it? Yeah, uh, really important. So l- some listeners will probably know that the local housing allowance is effectively the metric which determines how much housing benefit you can claim. So if you are getting housing benefit to, 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 to live in the, in the private market, it's supposed to allow you to afford the 30% cheapest rent. So if there are 100 rentals available across the market, you should be able to um, afford the bottom 30. The problem is that over the past 10 years, this rate has been frozen a lot. It was unfrozen during the pandemic, but when it gets frozen, it basically means that people who get housing benefit, some of them get it directly in the old-fashioned way, some of them get it via universal credit. But if you're getting housing benefit, you can afford fewer and fewer and fewer houses because it's been frozen. It's just been frozen again. Um, I'd say Andy Burnham emphasised that that needs to be uprated, that that housing benefit. Bev Craig, the leader of the city council, Manchester City Council. Paul Dennett, who's the, who's the mayor of Salford, also talked about it. So clearly, they think this is a, a huge driver um, behind the current issues, and it's why they think this winter is going to be particularly bad. Okay. Um, interesting. Very interesting. Um, speaking of those who are at the sharp end of society, Yoshi, there is a story knocking about this week uh, from The Times. The Times Northern correspondent, Tom Ball, has carried out a pretty damning investigation into conditions at the uh, Boohoo, who are a northern fashion brand, Manchester-based, I think, aren't they, Yoshi? And uh, he went undercover, or somebody from the Times went undercover at their factory in Burnley. What they've discovered is pretty disturbing. Firstly, can you just explain to us, for those who perhaps might have missed this, Boohoo are a Manchester-based company and very important here, right? Yeah, so I I think it's a Manchester-based company, so that's one thing. I actually think, given the the age profile of our listeners, that most of our listeners will know a lot about Boohoo and possibly more than you and I, Daryl. But 
Boohoo are very, very cheap. They're an online clothing retailer where you can buy a t-shirt for three pounds or a dress for 15 pounds. And a lot of people will remember that a couple of years ago, there was a big scandal about their supply chain. So that was clothes being made in Leicester, and there were very serious allegations about workers being underpaid, paid less than the minimum wage, right? What this story in the Times is about this week, I think, is another story about the cost of cheap clothes, right? They're, they're, they're cheap to their consumers. Consumers tend to be teenagers, people in their 20s, people in their 30s, buying for, um, you know very cheap, almost disposable clothes from Boohoo. The cost of it is borne not by the customer, but it's by, you know, A, the environment because of the throwaway aspect, B, uh, workers in, in places like Leicester where, where the clothes are made, and C, now we learn also, in the huge depot, um, with the warehouse, this aircraft hangar-sized facility um, in, in Burnley. This is where the packaging is done. This is where the items go from um, being, you know, stored in huge boxes to, to being boxed up for for customers. And that's what this investigation was all about. So yeah, this is a really significant Manchester company. It's also a significant national company. And the story, I think, of how these prices get to be so low is really relevant in this modern economy where people are buying loads of loads of really cheap stuff online. Okay, so take us into what the investigation actually found then, Yoshi. Yeah, so this was the Northern correspondent of the Times, Tom Ball. He went undercover for a month in the warehouse earlier this year, this this warehouse in Burnley. So after an initial training period, he reports that people working there are expected to meet a target of picking up 130 items in an hour, right? Which is more than two a minute, even though some of these items apparently can be, you know, um, aisles apart. Um, He says one staffer he had spoken to, the reporter had spoken to, said they had never reached 130 items an hour. So it's almost like a very, very, very difficult target. Um, And the person who, who, this staff member who Tom Bull was speaking to said it would require running all day uh, sort of to hit that target. The Times reports, and I quote, staff fulfilling online orders at the retailer's warehouse in Lancashire labelled themselves, quote, slaves and have complained of racism, sexual harassment, grueling targets, inadequate training, and ill-fitting safety equipment. So pretty serious claims, and probably claims that will be reminiscent of stories that people might have read about Amazon warehouses. This um, undercover reporter, Tom Ball, he was a picker, right, in the warehouse. And one of the big things that struck me about his story was the heat. He was talking about how in August and September, he was recording temperatures of 32 degrees during a night shift, when the outside temperature was 19 degrees. Apparently, this is a massive problem if you work in this warehouse, just how bloody hot it is and how you basically can't take enough breaks because you're, you're, you're having to, to pick up so many items. Um, there was one uh, shift where the reporter worked th- walked 13 miles, which is, by the way, is three times the average amount that the company has, has previously claimed that, that staff are, are expected to cover. Um, and, and, and he talked to staff who basically complained about being treated as fodder, you know, managers uh, timing their loo breaks, um, not making allowances for their injuries, um, and, and 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 that kind of thing. So, look, Boohoo has responded to this in the story. They have said that their working conditions are are, are not problematic. They have said people get to go. There's water on every level that people call, people can drink. Um, they have. You know, they, they've said that the, the the findings of this investigation are not reflective of, of what's really going on there. 
but clearly some serious allegations about, yeah, as you say, an important company. Mm. These are really other stories of our times, aren't they? Those at the sharp end of society. Speaking of which, we've got an update from the uh, from Rochdale Borough Wide Housing, that story of the young two-year-old who died because of exposure to mould. Uh, we'll come on to that again in a moment and we'll we'll continue to keep an eye on the, the story from Boohoo as well and if uh, any more comes of that. Um, in the meantime, um, what's going on in Didsbury, Yoshi? <laughs> yeah, okay. This is a very abrupt change of scene from Burnley, <laughs> from a warehouse in Burnley to Didsbury Village. But mill members, paying members, will have read a very funny little story. I mean, I don't know if it's entirely funny. There's a serious stuff to it as well, but I think there's also a sort of sense of uh, comedy in the overreaction. But he wrote, reports that he lives in Didsbury. He reports about an army of teens invading Didsbury Village. So 37 local people packed into a, a, a local pub called the Fletcher Moss recently to basically speak to the police and speak to each other about these teens. And what are they doing? They are they're doing ding dong dash types of games. You know, they're they're sort of rapping on on doorbell video cameras. Um, there's been some egging of properties. There are, um, you know, t- t- people who are waking up in the middle of the night to find dents in their cars or, you know, mirrors smashed. So some of this is kind of like serious stuff as well. Um, but this police officer down the pub who met all these residents, he-, he had an interesting analysis of what's going on. He said hundreds of children who effectively have been excluded from schools in less well-off areas of South Manchester, they might be coming into Didsbury to get drunk and to hassle residents. And the bit that really caught my eye in Harry's piece, he said, the policemen seem to be suggesting that these youngsters are leaving their own areas because their local parks have gangs in them. And effectively, the harder kids are forcing these particular teens um, to, to go to Didsbury to do their sort of low, more low-level criminality. No so, door run. Yeah, so... Uh, Quite a funny or at least quite an eye-opening little snapshot of uh, suburban Didsbury life there from Harry. People should definitely read that piece. How funny. Well, not funny. I mean, there's a, it's interesting because there's, there's, a, there's definitely a, a line, isn't there, where kind of kids being kids and playing knock-a-door run. And who didn't? We all played knock-a-door run or ding-dong-dash or whatever. You, you, was it ding-dong-dash in the South? Yeah, sure. yeah, look, there was a bit of that, sure. Um, <laughs> uh, we, call, we call it knock-a-door run up here. We've all done a bit of that, right? And, we've, and, and that sort of happens and kids will be kids. Where the line is between that and kind of actually making people's lives quite miserable, <laughs> that's a difficult. It's a difficult one, isn't it? That yeah, and and obviously, like we're not going to be the arbiters of of what that line is, but um, I think what slightly struck Harry was the slight sense of overreaction in the the WhatsApp chats that he's in, the local ones, and 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 in people saying we should, you know, lock the park and that kind of thing. I think Harry kind of felt like uh, there was a a little bit of a community sort of over-mobilising. But if people read the piece, I think they can uh, draw their own conclusions. Very good. Okay, Um, an update, Yoshi, to a story about a clash between a pro-democracy protester and officials at the Chinese consulate in Manchester. We spoke about this quite a few times on the podcast recently. Big, big story, big international geopolitical story in Manchester, and there has been an update this week. Yeah, it's good that this one's back in the news, because as you know, we felt at the time that this was a, a story that deserved even more attention than it was getting. Because you had a situation here where it appeared that a protester at a peaceful protest was dragged inside the grounds of the Chinese consulate in Russia and manhandled. And what the Greater Manchester Police have done this week is they've released a statement. They've said, quote, a number of offences, including assaults and public order offences, have been identified in their investigation. And they're saying they're pursuing new lines of inquiry to determine potential suspects. There was an interesting quote, I thought, from the assistant chief constable who's working on this one. He said, 
quote, this is a sensitive but importantly an objective investigation that will involve us working for as long as required to speak to all those concerned to achieve as many answers as we possibly can, close quote. I just thought that was sensitive but importantly an objective was interesting. I think what they're trying to say is we know that it's difficult to do these ones because of the involvement of diplomats who have you know, immunity and that kind of thing. But we are, I think what they're trying to say is we are treating it like a normal police investigation. We're going to go where the evidence goes. And I think, yeah, I think if they are actually going to do that, people will be pleased to hear that. Okay, that is very good. Um, we also promise we keep an eye on the developments in the case of the two-year-old Awabishak, who died from prolonged exposure to mould in a property that was managed by Rochdale Borough White Housing. Another story here on our doorstep, Yoshi, but that's been making waves across the country. And we have had an update on that over the weekend. Yeah, there have been various updates, actually, I think that are worth saying. First of all, the chief executive of Rochdale Borough White Housing, otherwise known as RBH, Gareth Swarbrick, he's been sacked by the board. He had actually released a video, a kind of a bit of an odd video, but it looked like a bit of a hostage video. He was saying, I've got the backing of the board. I'm not going to resign. I'm the person to lead through these changes. Anyway, the board quickly changed their mind on that. They sacked him. I think that was inevitable. Sky News has spoken to a former employee who resigned, who says they resigned due to a toxic culture in the organization. That's a quote. The source told Sky News, RBH have been putting profit before people for a long time. They try to cut corners and make them more cash rich, close quote. What RBH are saying is that they are going to, quote, significantly accelerate inspection of the, of, of the homes in, in, in their portfolio, and they're going to take, quote, immediate action to get rid of, of mold and, and, and damp in their flats, which bloody hell, like, how is that not something that they've been prioritizing before? I think it's, yeah, it's shocking. Mm, very much so. And finally for this week, Yoshi, there's been a big summit in Manchester today, hasn't there, about, as we record this on Wednesday, um, about levelling up and growth in the north. I've kind of been following this on Twitter. Some of the people who who, who were there sort of in the room, various kind of delegates and press and bits and bobs, the, the general sort of sense seems to be out of this conference that, that it's not really being taken very seriously. Yeah, I mean, I was going to criticise the government for not sending Mark Harper, the transport secretary, to the summit, but then I just realised I didn't go to the summit I chose not to go to the summit and was hoping that I'd get all the value from the summit on Twitter, which... But, yeah, but to be fair, Yoshi, Yoshi, you're not the transport minister, are you? I am so. not the transport secretary, so it's much more important that he's not there. But look, there are various summits like this where people, policymakers and journalists in the North try to bring together ideas about how to achieve genuine economic growth and genuine prosperity in this neck of the woods. And it's, it is a bit mad that you can't get a minister up for it. And people are angry about that. I mean, Mark Harper apparently referred to late changes to parliamentary business in the House of Commons, but I don't think people buy that. And um, Pat McFadden, who's the shadow chief secretary to the Treasury, who did come from Labour, um, Pat McFadden promised that a Labour government will actually build Northern Powerhouse Rail in full, which, by the way, would, would, would mean a new line and a station in Bradford, um, thanks to Helen Pidd for reporting that out on her Twitter. Um, this is a big thing. The big ask from a lot of Northern leaders in the past few years has been for much, much better rail up here. And Northern Powerhouse Rail, as we've talked about before, is this idea of having a new line across the North that's much faster, it's electrified, and it takes the uh, pressure off the other lines, right? 
And, you know, initially it felt very pie in the sky and then it was kind of promised um, by Boris Johnson's government and then it was watered down by his transport secretary. And then Liz Truss came in and said that she was going to do it in full in her leadership campaign. Now she's out. The message from the government has been it's not going to be done in full. Labour, um, who may well be in government in a couple of years' time, they say they will do it in full. But I think a lot of people up here are going to be thinking, hang on, until this actually happens, until you know, th- these lines actually being built, um, it's going to be difficult to believe. Okay. I've also got to say, there's a little, it does feel like there's a little bit of the government leaving the pitch on things like this. This isn't the first thing that the uh, ministers haven't attended. Uh, two, two or three stories that I've seen in various different parts and various different sort of parts of the economy or, you know, society where they were expecting government representation. They've also polled their media rounds as well. So, you know, you would sort of put BBC Breakfast on and you'd get you'd get a minister on and then they'd go on to Good Morning Britain and then they'd go on to Radio 4 and then they'd go on to Times Radio and then they'd go on to LBC and whatever. They, they're not doing those anymore every morning. It sort of feels like, oh yeah, it kind of feels like on things like this, they've, they've left the pitch a bit, which is curious because it's left the pitch open to a buoyant opposition who've got the wind in, in their sails at the moment, I suppose, and, and they're able to sort of be at these conferences and be on the news and be the ones that are being, are being seen. Yeah, that's interesting. So is that kind of an insight you get from doing your Times radio show? You can see kind of how the government's slightly pulling back on its communications, basically. Yeah, th- those those daily media rounds that ministers would do, they don't do anymore. The, the, as as of last week, they, they they pulled them. And I suppose there's sort of, there's two ways to read that really, isn't there? You know, you could say that they are kind of running running scared of something or, or, or you know whatever I mean. it allows the door you know open to the opposition and they're able to you know it's an open goal for an opposition minister to be on good morning britain or radio 4 or at these conferences i suppose the other you know why would you why on earth would you do that i suppose the other thing is that they've been so embarrassing for them of late that there's been so many difficult questions that those have become kind of pinch points for the government where you know things have gone quite badly wrong and the, 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 there is there is risk attached to, to the opposition as well, right? Because the opposition go on and they say something wrong or they have their ideas held to account in a way that perhaps they wouldn't no- normally. And, you know, there's with, with, with such a large poll lead, it's probably right that those shadow ministers are held to account. It may actually, whilst it sort of opens the goal for the opposition, it also gives them a chance to miss as well, doesn't it, I guess? Yeah, that's interesting. What a fascinating little insight. What you're saying is we're not going to get Mark Harper on our podcast next week. I don't think we are, mate. No, I don't think we are. As hard as we've tried, I don't think we are. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, take us into the mill newsroom, my friend. You've got a couple of things cooking, and also, in fact, actually, I imagine celebrating uh, a really cracking write-up in the the Press Gazette this week. Yeah, there was a really nice story, uh, main item on the Press Gazette yesterday on their website. They they said the mill is one of the few successful examples of paywall-funded local journalism in the UK. And their editor wrote an analysis thing asking like, well, if the mill has been successful with this, why haven't other people? So that was cool. Um, nice little bit of uh, press coverage. We're working on a, a really important story about big issues at a very prestigious local school. Um, so I hope people will be able to read that on the mill really soon. And then we're kind of planning our Christmas um, coverage. We're going to do a little bit less over Christmas. We're going to wind down our schedule a bit. But we're still going to schedule a few things in advance. The whole team are going to have, I think, 12 you know, 12 days off in total or something so people can have a bit of a of a recharge. And in that time, there'll be a few stories. So we're trying to work out what those are. But it feels like it's getting terrifyingly close already. Uh, so yeah, plans are in plans are in train. And um, and yeah, nice to have a bit of press coverage. Good man. Um, really worth reading in the Press Gazette if you want to get an insight into uh, the team and how that's going. And we always like to give you a bit of a, a nod for the week ahead, don't we? For some stuff to do in and around Greater Manchester. What have you got your eye on for that, Yoshi, this week? 
the Christmas lights at Dunham Massey. That's what I've got my eye on. Now, I'm actually going next week because I booked my ticket a while ago, but they've already started and you can book your tickets on the um, National Trust website. I'm not sure if you'll be able to get a ticket for actually this weekend or you might have to go for next weekend, but I kind of think it's a good recommendation because it looks... Really cool. I've never been to it before. I didn't know. Maybe you've, have you been to it before? No, RHS Bridgewater in Salford do that as well, where they, uh, for a couple of weeks of the year, they they light up. Yeah, so you can go, go after dark and it's a nice sort of light show and stuff. It's a nice idea. Yeah, it looks should... unreal. If people Google um, uh, Christmas at Dunham Massey, they'll see like the unbelievable uh, pictures of it. You know, like, if you've got any sort of vague access to an Instagram, I think you need to be getting down there because it's looking very... <laughs> It's looking very Instagrammable. Hopefully the deer will be knocking around as well. I love Dunham Massey. Definitely. That's one for the grid on Instagram, that isn't it, for sure. Okay, nice nice pick. My choice for you for the weekend ahead is Cheatham Library, who are doing a, speaking of like going to, place, go to places after hours, they're doing an after hours tour through some of the stone path, uh, passages and the secret staircases and the par- paneled rooms. They do this kind of semi-regularly. There's one coming up on Friday uh, this week, and it's you, sort of, you, you sort of get to go in after everybody's gone home, and they open up some of the passageways that are not normally available to you. It's a fantastic building, of course, as everybody knows, uh, and you get some really special access to it. There's some tickets for that on the website. And Agatha Christie's Mousetrap as well starts at the Opera House on Monday, a classic, of course. I'm sure you've probably... It's one of those things that I think everybody has seen by now, isn't it? But... Um, uh, worth seeing again actually I, I went to see it a couple of months ago on, on the west end for the like third time or whatever just because I'd, I had a loose sunday afternoon so i went to the matinee not as dated as i thought it was going to be actually i thought it was going to be a little bit a bit ropey around the edges but actually it stands up it's all right it's good uh, it's on at the opera house starting on monday and there all week thank you for being with us this week thank you for liking and subscribing don't forget you can get more quality journalism just like this in your inbox by subscribing to manchestermill.co.uk that is what twenty-seven thousand people in manchester have now done so be amongst them manchestermill.co.uk subscribe to this podcast too you'll get more news like this in your podcast feed every week for now yoshi thank you Thank you very much.